let's go to Colossians, shall we? Let's go to Colossians. Are you reading Colossians? I hope I hope you are. And, and we're going to look at something today that if you haven't been reading it regularly, you may uh, have missed it. But that's OK. That's why we're here and learn from each other. Let me start the PowerPoint here and we'll get you going. OK, there we go. So, yeah, Colossians, this is a, a great book. Uh, the book is about it's about Christ. Right. And, and this is not, you know, rah, rah, Jesus. Uh, this is a book for serious meditation, for heart transformation, as Paul uh, being led by the Holy Spirit as he writes these God-inspired words reminds us and introduces us to Jesus, uh, his character, his work, uh, his redemption, his control of the universe, his creation of the universe. Uh, the fact that he speaks and it comes to pass. So the fact that he left the throne of his father to take on a human nature while continuing to be God, to live and die in our place, uh, to bear our sin and shame, to go to the cross so that we wouldn't have to, um, to make a way for us to be reconciled to God and to have life beyond this life and, and hope uh, for eternity. And um, if, if your Jesus is too small, you need to read Colossians because it is a big Jesus book. And uh, it reminds us of who he is and what he's done. And that's what we've been looking at for the last several weeks. Now, um, what I want you to remember is, is sort of uh, what, what this, what this book is about here. So, if you look back to Colossians chapter one, the, if, if you could summarize the point of the book in, in one little phrase, we see that in verse 18. So look at this. Uh, Jesus is great. Jesus is this. Jesus is that. He's, he's just going off, reminding us of who he is, of his work. And uh, in this section in Colossians chapter one, Starting in verse 15, he reminds us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, meaning he is over creation. He's Lord of creation. By him, all things were created in heavens and, and earth, things visible, things invisible. So that electromagnetic field that was bothering my mic a moment ago, he created that, right? Um, uh, all things visible and invisible. And then he talks about thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Those are angelic. Uh, being spiritual beings as well as human rulers and authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I'm going to stand right here. And you folks at home, I'm just going to go up to the side because that keeps happening. So, all right, look at this, verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The, the, the universe runs today with all of its systems and all of its molecules and all of its laws of nature and all of the stars, all of the bodily systems that are sustaining our lives right now, all of those things, Jesus is the one behind the divine control panel of the universe, running it all, making it all happen. He's before all things, and him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. Guess what? 
The pastor is not the head of the church. The elder board is not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. The head of all believers. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He was the first one to rise again from the dead, conquering death, leading the way that we too would have hope beyond death. Why are you telling all this, Paul? Why are you telling us all this? Verse 18, he is beginning the firstborn from the dead so that, here's the purpose, right? I'm telling you all this for this purpose. What? He himself would come to have first place in everything. The the fingerprints of Jesus ought to ought to be on every part of our life. Shouldn't, shouldn't it? The word of Christ ought to be a part of every area of life. There, there should be no dichotomy between the religious part of how we live and some other part of our life. Uh, and, and how we how we bemoan that, how we see that, you know, Sunday Christians we call them, right? Or, or I've got my church friends, and that's when I talk clean and and talk about, right? And then my golf buddies, it's a different thing, or right? There, there's no there's no dichotomy. It, it's it's we ought to live consistently with King Jesus ruling and reigning over every realm of life, and and the the. The purpose for that, the, the reason for that is Jesus is first in everything else. So we ought to be in our lives also. Now, now notice, uh, this is just review, but look up on the screen here for a moment. This is not in your notes, but just look up on the screen. Uh, the rest of the letter shows us how to do that, right? So, so he launches, this is Jesus, this is who he is, this is what he's done. He's this, he's this, he's this, because he needs to have first place in your life. Now, let me show you how to do that. He has first place in our personal life. That's chapter 3, 5 to 11. We saw that last time. In our relationships, in our families, in our work, in our devotions. We'll look at that today. In our evangelism. And and, and that, that encompasses... Uh, the, the major spheres of life, right? Our personal life, our relationships, our family, our work, our walk with God, and our mission of evangelism. And that's what the, that's that's the plea of the letter is. Okay, Colossians, you're you're doing okay. Be careful of the false teachers, but don't forget your mission that Christ would have first place. I'm afraid to walk back over here, but I'm going to do it. So I got to see my notes. Okay. Um, so we saw this last time. If you missed last time, we did a huge chunk, almost the whole chapter three last time. And uh, it's almost criminal to, to be a drive-by expositor like that. But that's what we had to do to, to stay on track. But but look at this. Set your focus on things above. He says, and now we're in chapter 3, verse 1, as we come to our section in chapter 4 today. This is the point. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. And, and that, that helps us, right? Jesus is not interested in just functionally happy marriages. Although if you follow him in your marriage... Uh, joy will be a part of that. Um, Jesus is not just interested in um, harmonious work situations. Although if you seek Christ in your work, that will likely be one of the benefits, right? 
This is important because we don't ever want to turn the Bible into sort of some sort of life improvement book, right? Well, if I follow these steps and things get better. What Colossians is reminding us here, chapter 3, verse 1, where, where he moves into the application is that everything we're supposed to pursue is an expression of setting our minds on things above where Christ is, setting our minds on him and the things that he cares about. And then the fruit of that then will be a way of living consistent with him. So things like this, pursue a life of personal purity. We saw that in verse five, right, of chapter three. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire. So we pursue a life of personal purity. We pursue a life of relational harmony. This is how we get along with other people. Verse 12, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord Forgave you, so all should you. So as we set our minds on things above, making our, with our eyes on Christ and what he cares about, then we think about our personal life, applying that, Christ is first place in our personal life. Then we look around us at our relationships and we seek to make Christ to have first place in our relationships. And then we also looked at what we might call family faithfulness, husbands and wives putting Christ first in their marriage and how they treat one another. Wives, be subject to your husbands. That's verse 18. As to the Lord. 19. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be embittered against them. Verse 20. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. So now we see Christ and seeking Christ and, and making him Lord in the family as seen there. But you know, do you see how this is different than just saying, you know, dads, you need to be nice to your kids or husbands, you ought to love your wife. That's true. But if we disconnect that pursuit from who Jesus is and what he came to do and the application of the gospel as a as the the, the motivation to go love wives and follow husbands and and. Uh, minister to children, right? If we lose that 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 centrality of the gospel, that, then Christianity simply amounts to just trying to be better. And that's not the goal. In fact, he's clear here, right? He says, as those who have been already chosen of God, right? It's that position in Christ that then launches our practice for him. And so we always keep that central. And then this is where we stopped last time, pursue a life of vocational Integrity. He talks about employers and employees, uses the language here of slaves and masters, which was one of the main realms of, of how employment worked. Uh, of course, those principles carry over today. So look at this. Um, slaves and all things, obey those who are your masters, but not as pleasing men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Chapter 4, verse 1, if you're a boss, if you're an employer, grant to your slaves or your employees justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Now, let's move on. I want to show you the bookends of Colossians, if I can call it that. If, If you've been reading Colossians over and over and over and over, I bet you've seen this. If you haven't been reading Colossians over and over and over, you're going to go, wow. Uh, I'm going to go George Whitfield on you guys, okay? <laughs> and uh, you can't hear me. 
move closer. Okay, so the bookends of Colossians, look at this. Uh, look back at chapter 1. Can you hear me okay if I'm, doing, if I'm talking like that? Okay. Colossians chapter 1, look at this. The bookends of Colossians. What, what are the bookends of Colossians? Let me show them to you. Chapter 1, verse 3, as Paul launches into the letter. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying also for you. He starts off saying, hey guys, uh, we've been praying for you. And then look down at verse 9 of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 9. He says, for this reason also, since the day we've heard of it, we have not ceased to, what does it say? Pray for you. So, so the, on the, fr- this book is front loaded with the thought that Paul and his friends are praying for the Colossians. And notice, it's not like we pray for you when we think about you. We pray for you once a week. We, we, we have this language uh, of, ongoing prayer. Verse 3 says we're praying always for you. Verse 9 says we haven't ceased since the day we got the report from Epaphras about you. And and, and this, does does that not challenge you? I mean, if, if I were to say to you, would you say that your life is continual prayer? That you have not ceased to pray for somebody when you've heard about a need? Or you you could say you you're always praying for them. Would you say that's me? And, and we talked we, we, we clarified. I was talking to the, to the high school students last Sunday night about prayer. When we when the Bible talks about praying without ceasing, it's it's not saying when you're supposed to be doing your math homework that you're talking to God instead. That that's not that okay. That or you know. Maybe you're you're landing an airplane up at DFW Airport. Instead of paying attention to landing the plane, you're communing it with God. Your eyes are closed. No, no, that's not what it means. When the Bible talks about praying without ceasing, what it means is you're inviting God into every moment of your life in conscious dependence on him and in ongoing conversation with him. That's what it means. And so if you're if you're landing a plane at DFW, you might do that. Lord, help me to handle, uh, land the plane uh, safely. And then you commune with God, having invited him into that moment by landing the plane safely. If you're doing algebra homework, you say, Lord, help me to do this. It's hard for me. Give me some uh, wisdom to do this, okay? And then you, you commune with God uh, in that way by doing your work well. So that's what it means. It, it, but you're aware that he's there. You're inviting him. In. I, I, I told you the story. My dad, when I was a kid, we had a station wagon, a Chevy, big old station wagon that's like twice as long as my Honda Civic. And, um, and he'd always put his sunglasses on the, the dashboard of the car, right? And so we'd be driving down the road. I'd be sitting, shotgun with dad. And, and oh, he'd always put him there. And he'd turn. And, and Mr. Isaac Newton would always come into play. You know, he turns this way. What happens? The sunglasses go the opposite way, right? And then he turned the other way, the sunglasses. And so I, I grew up with this picture of Dad always grabbing the sunglasses and putting back in the middle of the dashboard. Grabbing the sunglasses, put them back, right? And one time they actually went right out the window. The window was open. You pull over. So just that, that picture. And, and, and I feel like that, that's, that's a, I think of that because I feel like that describes my relationship with God. I put him in front of me in the morning. And then by lunchtime, he's kind of drifted. I'm not thinking about him so much. Okay, put him back in front, right? And you're you're just constantly putting God in in the in the middle of your spiritual focus, if that makes sense. 
David describes it in Psalm 16 like this. He says, I've set the Lord always before me. And I just picture him. He, he's prone. Well, God's not prone to water. We're prone to wander, but we're always just putting him back in front of us. And that's what you're doing in prayer is you're just constantly bringing God back in view, inviting him into the moment, and then doing whatever you're supposed to do for his glory, but with an awareness that he's there and that you're trying to honor him in whatever it is you're doing. Okay, does that make sense? And, and I, I may be totally wrong, but that, that, that's what I think is the intent of these verses that say we're always praying and, and we're constantly praying. We're praying without ceasing. I don't, I don't think what God intends is we lock ourselves in a monastery and spend 10 hours a day in private uh, uh, isolated prayer. I don't think that's what it means because there's too many other things in the Bible that say get out there and love people, love your neighbor, share the gospel, work to the glory of God, and, and you know, a hundred other things. So I think that's what he means. So, so that's bookend. Where are you? Bookend number one. The front end is this example of prayer, right? Look at verse nine. Then he gives a model for prayer. Verse nine. For this reason, since the day we've heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So isn't that a great thing to pray for? We're praying to know and do the will of God. And then he explains what that is, right? Uh, So that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bear fruit in every good work, increase in the knowledge of God, be strengthened with all power for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience as you joyously give thanks to the Father. So that's how we ought to pray. Um, there's a there's a model there. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So that's the front bookend. Now look at the chapter that we're in now, chapter four. This is the last chapter. So there's bookend number one. Look at the end of the other bookend on the back end of the book. Check this out. Chapter four, verse two. Devote yourselves to prayer. So so here's the question. How does that go with what we read about at the beginning of the book? What do you think? Keep it up. What's that? Speak up here. Say, um, yeah, you got to be intentional. See, see here's what I think is going to happen. What he's already modeled for us in his example now becomes his exhortation to the Colossians, right? He's demonstrated it. He's modeled it at the first part of the book. And now he gets to the end and he says, now it's your turn. Now I want you to do it, to persist in it, right? So there's an exhortation. There's a there's an encouragement to do this. And and look at this. We have a, a, a an encouragement through Paul's friend and uh, one of the actually fellow Colossian Christians. Look at chapter 4, verse 12. This, when I discovered this, this, this blew me away and, and Epaphras became instantly one of my spiritual heroes. Look at this, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of your number, meaning he's a part of the Colossian church, a bond slave of Christ, sends you his greeting. Now look at this. Always laboring earnestly for you. How? In his prayer. Is that how you think about your prayer life? I mean, do you walk away from a season of prayer and go, man, that was exhausting? We ought to. 
if we're praying as we should. And, and I don't, I, here, here's the radical thought to, for the day, okay? Prayer is hard work. Prayer is hard work. And maybe the reason that we don't do so great at it sometimes is we're not working on it. So let's see what we can learn here, okay? Look at chapter 4, verse 2. The, the main idea is to just devote yourself to prayer. When you think of devotion, what do you think of? Commitment. Consistency. Are you guys watching the Olympics? Not really? You hear about it? Some of you are, some of you aren't. Okay, you, you know about the Olympics, though. Those of you that aren't watching, okay, so I can use that as an analogy. Okay, so Olympics. Do you think these are people that get up in the morning and go, you know, I'm going to have a box of Pop-Tarts today, you know, for breakfast. And then I'm going to I'm going to sit on the couch and YouTube for about six hours. And and then I might, uh, you know, go to McDonald's and. Do they just kind of get up and do what, eat what they want to eat, do what they want to do or t- talk to me about Olympic athletes. Disciplined, committed. Deep. Voted, right? And you think, what does devotion mean? I think Olympic athletes. Look at those people. They're, they're running. We're watching the, the ladies' 100-meter final last. I don't know when that happened. Because all the times are weird. Like under 11 seconds for a 100-meter dash. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, the, the, swimmer, the swimmers have been breaking records and gymnasts and, and pole vaulters and volleyball players and fencers and you go, how do they get that good? They're devoted. They work hard. They have discipline, self-control, commitment, focus. They're saying no to a thousand other things. So they can say yes to the thing that is their sport, right? Now, any Olympic athletes here? I was going to say none of us are Olympic athletes. I don't know. Maybe some of you are past Olympic athletes. We just don't know about it. No, okay. So none of us are Olympic athletes. That's a safe assumption. But can we learn something from that? Ought we to be Olympians in prayer? At least in our efforts? Isn't that what he's saying? Devote yourself to prayer. How many times does the Bible say, devote yourself to this? It talks about being devoted to God. Here's, here's the main way we do that. Devote yourself to prayer. This is focus, discipline, self-control, time, effort. Now look at this. Devote yourselves to prayer. What's the next word? Keeping what? What's it say? What's your Bible say? Keeping what? Alert. Alert. Now, Paul, this is, this is great. Paul understands how this works. You sit down to pray with all the best efforts. I sit down to pray with all the best efforts. And and I, I, you know, good morning, Lord. And then nine things come into your mind. Things you've been trying to remember all week come into your mind. You know, you think about what you're going to eat for lunch that day. You think about your to-do list. You think about that person you need to call back that you forgot about last week. You, right. And, and, and Paul says, look, you know what you need if you want to be devoted to prayer? You need to be alert. You need to pay attention. You need to have focus in that. Um, keep alert with it. Um, keeping alert, I take that to mean keeping alert means 
I have to intentionally focus on the task of prayer and do things to avoid distraction. I think that's what he means. So be devoted to prayer. And and by the way, I just confess to you, I can't pray with my eyes closed for any extended period of time. I don't have that much self-control. Maybe some of you do. Awesome. I pray with my eyes open with, hang on. Got show and, are you guys okay with show and tell? We do show and tell. Uh, so this. I should have cut this out ahead of time. <laughs> Look at this. Okay. One dollar at Walmart. You know what this is? My prayer journal. You know what it has in it? I got a page for me. I got a page for my wife and my each one for my each of my three kids. I've got family. I've got all of you guys, uh, missionaries and ministries. So like Monday is praying for family. Tuesday is church. Wednesday is missionaries and ministry. Uh, Thursday is uh, leadership, both here and around the world. I've got my look at this. I've got my uh, my missionary cards here. Here's the new one for the uh, uh, who are these folks here? Oh, the Zellers, the, the the Zellers that were here last week, right? So I got these right here so I can pull them out and pray for them with their picture in front of me. And and I, I this is my prayer crutch is what it is. Because I need crutches because I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to be distracted. Uh, Pastor Terry prays out loud. That helps him to stay focused. And maybe you might do that, too. But but the point is we need, we need to devote ourselves to prayer. But then we need to be alert and remain uh, focused on what we're doing. Notice this, too. He says, do this with an attitude of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is what sweetens the discipline of prayer. So we're not begrudging it. We're not belaboring it. We're not going, oh, no, you know, I got to do if, if If you are in a posture of thankfulness, then then that that permeates the whole event of prayer. And if we're talking about praying without ceasing, what that means is thankfulness ought to be the tone and atmosphere of how we as believers would live every moment to always be thankful. And that's why it's it's what um, uh, pray without ceasing. What comes before that? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And in everything, what give thanks? See, it, it goes together. So it is the will of God. Yeah, it is the will of God for our good. That's right. So, so it's not it's not rocket science, or is is it David Gibson or Curtis? We're not rocket surgery, right? We just said it. it's not it's not rocket surgery. It's not hard to figure out, right? It, it's it's rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks because this is the will of God. And that comes right back to what is he praying? He's praying that they would know the will of God. Guess what? Now he's telling them what the will of God is. For mm-hmm. for for us, that's right. And notice this, uh, with an attitude of thankfulness, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery in all of that. Okay, And that, that, that helps us with the content of prayer. What's the content of prayer? That God would open up a door for the word. You say, I pray the same old things about the same old things. That's what... Uh, um, uh, 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 Don Whitney, who wrote the spiritual disciplines for the Christian life, one of the best books on spiritual disciplines. He says, you know what the problem with prayer is? We pray the same old things about the same old things. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, but here, here's the, the, at the top of our list should be praying that God would open up for us doors for the word. 
opportunities for us to speak forth scripture to people. Why? So that we can speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I've been imprisoned. So devotion to prayer, alertness, thankfulness, and the content is for opportunities to spread the word of God. Now, there are other things we should pray about. We should pray for the sick. We should pray for opportunities. We should uh, pray for, um, you know, life decisions. Those are all good. But but this needs to be at the top of the list here. Now, notice how this transitions to what he says about unbelievers, because we're praying for open doors to speak the word of the mystery of Christ, right? That's what we're praying for. Now, now watch. He says, okay, so when God opens a door, when you have an opportunity, like, like Susie to her uh, brother or you to some other person, when we have that opportunity, what do we do? Well, look what he says. Engage wisely then with unbelievers. Look at verse 5. Um, conduct yourself with wisdom Toward outsiders. In fact, back up into, uh, look at verse four, because we, we skipped verse four. He says, um, pray, right? That God would open a door. Can I can speak forth the mystery of the word? Verse four, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. That's how we pray. Lord, I'm having a conversation with my brother today. Make it clear how I ought to speak. Pray the prayer of Moses. You know the prayer of Moses? Remember that? When, he, when he's talking to God, the burning bush, he's going to go back to Pharaoh. Remember the prayer of Moses? Lord, be with my mouth. And he has that, that wonderful little thing as God concludes the burning bush episode. What's the last thing he tells Moses? He says, I will be with your mouth. It's a Moses prayer. That, that's, we, we need to pray that. Lord, make it clear how I ought to speak. Words to say. Words not to say. Timing. Uh, Now, watch him expand on this. Conduct yourself with wisdom toward those outsiders now. So you got the opportunity, right? Now, make the most of that opportunity by using that moment wisely. You say, how do we do that? Well, look at at the thing he he hones in on here. Verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace. As though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Okay, you got it? So what are we going to pray for? We're going to pray for opportunities to tell the word, to minister the the mystery of Christ to people. And we're going to try to do that. We pray that God will make it clear how I ought to speak. Now he's going to tell us what that looks like. Conduct yourself then with wisdom toward those outsiders, meaning unbelievers, making the most of opportunity. So talk to me about wisdom now. So wisdom with talking with unbelievers. What are some ways we might do that? Yeah. Yeah. Consider their age and their purity, where they're coming from. We don't want to be reckless with the Bible. Maybe something like this, being a good listener, asking questions, but before we just lob a, a Bible grenade, you know, in their general vicinity, right? We don't want to do that. You know, tell, what's going on? Well, oh, yeah, and, and I understand, and, and why do you feel like that? And, and tell me about that more. So get a context, and that context then allows you to tailor what you're going to say to the person. You know why we've had so much success in evangelism? 
with our counseling ministry here? Because what, what counseling is, is taking a life problem and connecting them to Jesus and the Bible about it. That's what it is. That's all it is. So I can say, hey, let me tell you the Romans road. Let me tell you four spiritual laws. Let me, let, let me tell you the, the, the gospel according to Romans or whatever your favorite way to share the gospel is. I can do that. God uses that. That's awesome. But if I get to know about your marriage or your addiction or your adult child that's in jail or right, and, and you've got this need and now I can connect your need to the gospel of grace who desires a relationship for you in Christ. Now they're going to hear that very differently than some sort of generic gospel presentation. We found that to be very effective. So, so that's, I think what he's saying here, conduct yourself with wisdom, meaning get to know the person. Think about timing. Think about context. And then make the most of that opportunity. Um, guys, we don't have time to waste opportunities with unbelievers. As we heard recently from Pastor Terry, Jesus is coming back. And he's going to make all things right. And judgment will occur. And so Paul pleads with the Colossians, make the most of those opportunities. And it, You know what? You've been convicted by this. I've been convicted by this. I'm walking away from something, and about five minutes later I go, why didn't I talk to that person? Why was I more interested in the, my food order that I was putting in at the counter than talking to the person next to me that had spiritual need? And, and those are the sorts of battles that I face, and maybe you face them too. It's like, I, I need to get out of that frame of mind to say, you know what? Lunch can wait. Eternity can't. So I need to engage in that. And again, not recklessly, not, not, not being, not stepping on toes for Jesus, nothing like that, but, but being wise. And careful and considerate. And, and notice this is interesting. The, the one way he encourages us to do that specifically is what? Season your speech with salt. We've all had a bland meal, right? And how that bland meal can be transformed into something that's tasty and palatable. And we want more of simply by doing what? Seasoning. So let's, let's conduct our speech with unbelievers in a way that is palatable, that is appetizing, and that leaves them wanting more conversation. I think that's what he's trying to tell us. Okay? Yes? Do you not think that it's a matter of being dependent on the Spirit of God? Oh, goodness, yes, yes. Because he's the one... That is yeah. The yeah, and that goes right back to the previous verse, right? We're, we're, we're devoted to prayer. We're dependent on the spirit in prayer. And then that launches us into having these conversations. So I think that's absolutely the point there. That's right. That's right. Amen to that. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we have our charge to devote ourselves to prayer this week, to be alert and thankful, praying for your will, praying for opportunities, and then when you open doors of opportunities to bring your word to bear in some person's life, give us wisdom and season our efforts with grace, all for your glory. Lord, make this week count for eternity as we pray and as we talk to others. In Christ's name, amen.